0: Thank you. It's been six weeks since I stood here. I was on sabbatical the month of August and Mike held it down. Very grateful. <laughs> Got a new pulpit. Got a new hairstyle. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful, they used to say. What was that coming commercials? Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. And the people actually weren't, to be honest, but that's just TV for you. Well, I'm glad to be back, and we have much, much work to do for the kingdom, much to assess. Well, I was on sabbatical, I, I was reading a lot and thinking and processing a lot, and I was thinking about love a lot. Love is, is seemingly a forgotten virtue in our culture. And so, as I was thinking about love, I came across something that I've heard a lot of people talk about as it relates to love. And it was the five love languages. And I've been hearing about this for a long time. So I thought, okay, let's investigate. So I did some research, looked at it, and I took the test. I want to give you my results. Make sure you apply for you hit. So I thought that physical touch would be mine. Then I realized probably not though. Cause sometimes it's not like when people, you know, you don't want people always touching you, you know. So I realized. So mine was words of affirmation was the highest. Then physical touch, and then it goes down to receiving gifts and acts of service and quality time. And as I was looking at this, and I thought, okay, is this is this legitimate? Let me think about who I am. And I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Words of affirmation get encouragement, okay. People affirm you. I'm a wordsmith, so you want your words to be, okay, that makes sense. Physical touch, that makes sense, depending on who you are, you know. Quality time, depends on who you are. Acts of service, cool. Receiving gifts, cool. And as I began to think about this and think about how much of this, I've heard people use this and talk about this, there was a challenge, or at least two challenges that I saw with this, this five love languages. The first is, it makes love about you. It makes love about you. Now, sure, you can use it to serve other people, people that you care about, as many do, particularly in marriage and things like that, but that requires time and awareness. You're not going to always be around people to know what their love language is, and they're not going to be around to know what yours is. I mean, can you imagine if it was like, hey, by the way, words of encouragement. Talk nice to me today. Hey, receiving gifts. Having said that, Vilma, happy birthday. Wow. Vilma was partying yesterday on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, J.P. Vilma, they was partying. <laughs> dancing to Stevie Wonder and all that. I saw it. I need to get comfortable. I'm still in, in vacation mode. But as I saw this, I realized, wow, this doesn't really make it about you, though. It makes it about the person. Okay, so I know what my love language is. And hopefully I... So what do you do with that? Hey, you go around and tell people what your love language is. But the second, the second challenge of this is that it really focuses on, which many things about love in our culture, they focus on romance. Like in this culture, romance is the highest form of love. That's why there's so many dating agencies so many romantic sitcoms. There's so much pressure to be in a romantic relationship. Not necessarily marriage, but just some romantic relationship. There's this this pressure. In fact, I think in our culture, the four most celebrated forms of love are romantic, parental, Familial, family including like pets, and occupational, I just love my job. These are primary ways that people think about love and believers at times process the biblical command to love through these lenses. Let me give you an example. Many of us have been in marriages, heard the pastor open up 1 Corinthians 13, And read, love is patient, love is kind, and and we all smile and we nod unless we're in a conflict with somebody sitting beside us. And we process it, and the people who are listening hear it, and they're so in love in that moment. And everything is processed through the lens of my romantic feelings for this person. Or as a parent, you, you, as soon as you, ha- you hold your child, you think, I, I wanna, I'll, I'll do everything to protect this person. I've heard people say, I never thought I could love someone so much. You know, we, we process the biblical command to love through things that are natural and easy for us to do. We hear about love at weddings, and, and it makes sense. Who doesn't want to be patient and kind? The people that they're in love with or responsible for. But herein lies the challenge. How does the love languages help you love your enemies? How do these love languages and other forms of, how does it help you love your neighbor? What if you don't know their love languages and you never learn it? I mean, what enemies do you have that you want to get to know to even know what that is? I've never had an enemy that I was like, man, I'm trying to get to know him a little better. That's a challenge. See, we're overly familiar with the idea of love. But we are often unfamiliar with the practice of it, biblically speaking. And then we look at our culture. And you see with ease, with impunity, people who profess to live for the God of love being completely opposite and somehow justifiably so. So for the remainder of this little series, we're not gonna focus on the five love languages, but we are gonna look at five love lessons from the scriptures. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 1 through 3. These will be our primary verses today. Let's look at what Paul, speaking on behalf of God, is saying to us about love. I'm reading from the CSB translation. If you're at home, it's on your screen. Good to be seen by you guys. Bay, what's up? All right, beginning in verse one, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, And if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, whenever you open your Bible and you just open to a letter, particularly in the New Testament, and you start reading, say you open, I'm going to read the Bible today, and you open to Galatians 3, or you open to Philippians 2, or you open to wherever you go you are entering a pre-existing conversation. There is a conversation. These these letters have a structure, and they have a purpose, and they have an audience. And whenever we open up to a passage that we're not reading or not studying, then we are entering into a pre-existing conversation. So we're going to look at these three verses in two ways. First, in context, in the conversation that Paul wrote them in, We're going to look at it that way, then we're going to look at it in commission, which means in command, in responsibility for us. Now, in context, Paul is writing 1 Corinthians for two primary reasons, all right? Two primary reasons. The first reason, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 10, verses 10 and 11, Paul explains why he's writing this particular letter. And he says this, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. All right, so the first reason why he's writing this letter is someone named Chloe and her people report back to Paul who planted this church and was there for at least 18 months. This is a church. This is his church. Not all of the letters that Paul wrote to were churches that he even got to visit, but Corinth is his church. I have the privilege, as many of you know, to speak at a lot of different churches prior to covid I get asked to speak at conferences and travel the country sometimes to speak at other people's churches. And sometimes I've spoken at churches multiple times and so I know people and and on one level it feels like home, but that's not my church. There's nothing like coming back to The Rock and being in my church with my brothers and sisters. There's there's nothing like it. I have fun going to other places, it's cool. You can try out some new material, (laughs) some new jokes. But as Dorothy prophetically said, there's no place like home. Well, in context, Paul, this is his church. And Chloe's people have said, hey, there is rivalry. In other words, there are people that are professing to be brothers and sisters that are fighting with each other in your church, Paul. So from verse 112 all the way up to chapter 7, he is addressing the issues that he heard from Chloe's people. The second reason he's writing this letter is in 1 Corinthians 7. He says this in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex. So now from verse chapter 7 on, Paul evidently received letters from his church, with significant questions about how to live as a Christian. So now Paul is going to spend the rest of the letter responding to the things that they wrote about. So concerning the matters you wrote to me about, he says this. Now this letter is course correction. Paul is trying to correct believers. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You call it, there's this too much rivalry. There's too much conflict. There's too much division. Let's bring it back to the truth of the gospel. And when he gets to chapter 12, he highlights one of the biggest issues that are still an issue today in the church. He says in verse 12:1, now concerning spiritual gifts, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. And he begins to explain the purpose of spiritual gifts and what they are about. And he says in verse 4 through 11, he starts to explain about the gifts. He says in verse 4, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces a gift in each person. So you see he says, he says, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. So he's saying the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all the gifts that you have been given are Trinitarian. The Godhead has given all these gifts for the betterment of the church. And then he says, and there are different activities in verse 6, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, performing miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And he ends the letter indicating, do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? He ends his chapter. He says, no. That's ironic because there are people who build denominations. Saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. I'm not sure what translation of the Bible they're reading. But Paul makes it clear that not all people have all the gifts in the same way. In fact, we'll get to this a little bit later, but Paul says, I wish all of you had this gift. Well, he never says you're not a believer because you don't have it. But that's not today's message. So how does 1 Corinthians 13 fit? Because that that passage is always taken out of to talk about like romantic love or just love in a marriage or love in a relationship. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 fits after 1 Corinthians 12 the concept of love is dropped right in the middle of this course correction for Paul to say the gifts that God has given you are not to be used to create division in the church. And if they are, then that's wrong because the gifts should be manifested through love. The reason you use those gifts is for the purpose of love. So in context... That's what 1 Corinthians 13, that stuff about love is. It's not just, oh, love is this, love is that. True, but in context, he's making sure you understand you all have supernatural spiritual gifts, but you're using them in a satanic way. You have God-given gifts, using them in a satanic way, And you need to change. And the way that you change is to see love as the motivating, the equilibrium for why you even use these gifts. The greater the gift, the greater the responsibility of love as a motivating factor to use that gift. So that's the context of this passage. Now let's look at this again, beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Staying in context. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Here Paul speaks on what seemingly is the most popular gift in their church and in many churches since then. And it makes sense. I mean, speaking in tongues was in Acts 2 the way that the Spirit showed up, right? Jesus tells the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost. All these people, Jews gathered around from all different countries. All of a sudden, they hear like a rushing wind. Hoof! And the Spirit comes and people start speaking in tongues. Now, God did that so that people understood whoa, something different's happening. People were there and, like, wait a minute, I know you're not from where I'm from. How are you talking in my language? How are you doing that? How is it possible that these people can speak in tongues that are not their own? You know, it's not an actor imitating something. You know, the people thought these people are drunk, and then Peter got up and said, these people are drunk. It's 10 in the morning. He says, Now, this is the Spirit's work. Speaking in different tongues was a significant deal in the church. You got Acts 8, the, the, uh, the, the, the disciples go down to Samaria and they lay hands on the Samaritans and they start speaking in tongues as proof. Whoa, the Spirit is at work in these people. You got Acts 10 where Peter gets a vision from God and then goes with these men to Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, a warrior, but he's a God-fearer. He believes in the God of the Hebrews. So Peter goes there. Starts preaching the gospel and it says that the spirit fell on everybody in the house and everybody started speaking in tongues. Can you imagine a a toddler or somebody who's just learning how to talk, starts speaking in tongues? Four year old Johnny. Tongues is a significant gift. And it was a gift that people were dividing themselves in the church. Yeah, we speak in tongues. You don't. You're not as spiritual. You see what we see today, there's denominations that believe in baptismal regeneration, that you gotta have, if you don't speak in tongues, if you don't have these gifts, these things, all that stuff is all this is all old school. This is Corinthians, right out of Corinthians. Is we're better than you because we speak in tongues. And Paul is saying, that's not true. And he mentions if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, he's highlighting this. Listen. This, is, this message isn't about tongues in, in specific. And are tongues other languages? Are they languages of the angels? Is Paul being, is this hyperbole? Is it just figure of speech? Or is he saying there's angelic languages that people can speak in? That's not for today. But his point is, if I can speak in the language of humans, in language angels, angels don't speak English, right? So just, just know that. Angels aren't speaking English. They're not going to the throne like, hey, God. Hey, would you mind if I, they don't speak that way. But he's saying, listen, whatever tongue I speak in, it would be impressive to people watching, like, whoa, you know why? That person is genuinely a believer. They have the spirit in them. That's why people love it so much, because that proves, because let's just be honest, let's be honest. It's church, it's Sunday, honesty, right? Sometimes we don't feel the spirit's work, right? We don't always feel empowered to obey God or we feel like we're doing it on our own. It doesn't feel like the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. It feels like good old fashioned forcing myself not to say what I feel like saying. So when I can do something like speak in tongues, it proves the spirit is in me and it gives me confidence, but it also can be used in an unloving way. So Paul is saying, here, listen. If that gift doesn't demonstrate itself through love, then it's just a loud, intrusive noise. That's it. If a spiritual, supernatural gift that God has given you is not used in a loving way, then it's noise to God. I didn't give you this gift because you're better. I gave you this gift to help you bring about love within the context, the community of the church when you gather together. We can use the gifts that God has given us sinfully. We can be gifted and be unloving and think we're good. And God is saying, if love isn't a part of it, then that gift that you have is noise. In verse 2, Paul says this. We're still in context, is what he's trying to say. In verse 2, he says this. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Here Paul highlights the second most sensational gift. Prophecy. Prophecy is a big deal. In fact, it's the gift that Paul said he he would prefer people to have. In 1 Corinthians 14, the next chapter from where we're at, he says this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up. Remember, it gives you confidence. Man, the Spirit's at work in me. I'm praying in tongues. Even I don't know what I'm saying. so builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesy. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So you see, even though tongues is a wonderful supernatural gift, I can speak in tongues. I've been to churches where people just start speaking in tongues right then and there. And I've seen people do it and, and to some degree disrupt the flow of the service. Because now we got to submit to what they're doing and wait till they finish. I don't know what he's saying. People, all you can say is hallelujah. Because you know the Spirit's at work, at least in that person. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit too. Tell the Spirit to tell that man to hurry up. <laughs> it's part of the fruit of the Spirit too some people hijacked the church service. Listen, take that tongue outside, man. The Lord, if you, it's just you and the Lord, go out back with it. Look, prophecy was an important gift to the church. It's an important gift God's given to the church. These gifts were a big deal. They gave credibility to one's conversion, but they also gave preferential treatment to ones that had Those gifts. He says, listen, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, all mysteries, so, he's, so listen, this is what he's doing. He's referring back to two, some of the spiritual gifts that he listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. This is what he's doing. He's going back to them. Remember, this is a letter, right? He's writing this in conjunction. So this one follows the other. So 13 follows 12. So he talks about the spiritual gifts in chapter four. Now he's looking back on those gifts and saying, though you have them and you use them, the very gifts that you celebrate, if you don't use them in love, they don't matter. They don't matter. If I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, He moves to the most important component, the most central component of conversion. Staying in verse 2, he says, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains. That's just a phrase, uh, that's a figure of speech to say, if I have faith to do the impossible. If I have faith to do the impossible. Like I have faith to do things that seem impossible. He says, but do not have love, I have nothing. Nothing. Think about what he's saying. The most celebrated, supernatural, spiritual gifts that God has clearly given can be nothing unless they're used in a way that loves your brother and sister. Now, if the most supernatural gifts given by God can cause division, then why would gifts or social constructs imagine what they do? Now, verses 1 and 2, he highlights gifts that God gave, supernatural gifts that God gave. And Paul's saying that love supersedes these supernatural gifts. If you have none of these gifts and you're a loving person, I've been around really gifted men. I remember at this this church I used to go to, the senior pastor, I remember one time I was walking down the hallway and this dude was just, it was just one of those churches, man, where they worship the dude, they worship the, the pastor. And, and he just was aware of it. I was young. I was young. I might have been in high school. Just trying to figure out what this was about Christianity. And I'm walking down the hallway and I see him coming my way and he sees me. It's just us in the hallway. Just me and him. And I'm like, oh, they go past the so-and-so. And I was like, wow. You know, and this is big dude. Tall, just walking. And just because it was like, whoa, that's the pastor. Sometimes people act like that towards me and Mike. And we like, man, what you, what you talking about? Hey, can I talk to you for me? Am I in trouble? What you talking about? Oh, man. It's hilarious to me. Y'all do, if y'all lived with us, y'all would be like, oh, I ain't nothing but Kirk. But here I am in the hallway with this dude. we walking down the hallway. And as we get closer, lock eyes. And I'm starting to smile like, man, I might get to talk. I've never really got a chance to. And so I was getting ready to smile. I didn't know what to do because I'm young. And here's the lead pastor, the dude who's I hear preaching every Sunday. And as we're getting closer, he looks at me and then looks away and keeps walking. And I remember thinking, so what I was supposed to be like, say something to him? Like I'm a kid. I'm 15 maybe, maybe 16. And here's this dude with this gray stash, and he walks right past me. I eventually left that church because it was just too much arrogance in the leadership. Too much worship of this dude. Really gifted. Really gifted. But at that time, I would have said really unloving. And I never forgot that. Because I was like, man, if I ever was a power, I don't ever want to do that. So if I walk right past you, please forgive me and correct me. Now, if I'm eating and you walk up and start talking to me, don't get mad if I don't look up and get eye contact. Some people can be rude with it, but I shouldn't be. People who have gifts, who cares? If I preach a good sermon and you love it, but I'm unloving, it doesn't matter. What does it matter? I'll stand before the Lord and he'll be like, man, all them sermons you taught didn't matter because you didn't love none of the people. And they weren't motivated by anything but your five love languages. Words of affirmation is what you wanted to hear. You wanted somebody to touch you and affirm you. And it wasn't about loving them. In the first two verses, he highlights what God has given. But in the third verse, he highlights what we give from ourselves. And he says this, and if I give away all my possessions... And if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. One of the most honorable things a person can do is to give away all or lots of their material possessions. I mean, we've all seen different people just like in hurricane relief or something like that. Just I remember going down to Katrina after Katrina hit New Orleans and speaking and and going into schools and speaking to all these schools and, and being a part of organizations that were helping people and just seeing people sock, just give of their own possessions. And it was, it was, it was, it was humbling. You know, it's the kind of thing that brings tears to your eyes if the situation is right. You just see that and think, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's one of the most honorable things someone could do. And it's also what's motivated in the spirit. We see this in Acts 2. 42 through 47, the people took the people who had more, made sure everybody had. It was beautiful. He says, if I give away all my possessions, and then he says, if I give over my body, giving over my body, I mean, Jesus says this in John 15, verses 12 through 13, 12 and 13. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So in context, Paul is saying from the most supernatural of the spiritual gifts to the seemingly most selfless act a person can do by giving away their own possessions. By the way, the greatest possession that you can give away is yourself. It's the greatest possession. said the most supernatural spiritual gift or, or the most everything that I have, if I give that away, it's possible to do it in a way that's about me. This is why he says this. If I give it away, look what he says in verse 3, in order to boast. So if I do things so people can be like, wow, that guy is incredible. while he gave his own life to say that, so I can have people remember me. He says, I can do all that and it means nothing. Because it's not love. Love must be important than all of those supernatural gifts that we have and even what we give of ourselves. It is possible to do them in a way that is about you. I'm giving people this so that people know I gave. Why you think Jesus said don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? If you give something do it do it do it on the sneak. That's the 21st century translation. Don't let them know what you let don't because you don't don't advertise it. Don't be like the Pharisees who who walk around and who who make themselves look like they fast. Remember, you ever seen them commercials? (laughs) Every time, I was like, man, I wonder how they would do that. Then one day, the I was watching this Rice Krispie Treats commercial, and there was a mom who was in the kitchen, and they were trying to say, she looked like she had been baking all day. She grabbed a little bit of flour, threw it on her face, looked like she had been doing that, and she had bought some Rice Krispie Treats, cut them all up, and gave them to her family, like, look at how I've served you all day. I love how commercials just, just, just promote deceitfulness. And it was just funny because she's like, "You man, you just bought some, 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 some Rice Krispie Treats. I've eaten enough of them, I would have been like, man, this store bar, I know where this is from. You got this from John. I know because I, I, I eat these often. I'd have been like, man, you lying right now. Man, you got this from John. Like you said, don't be like the people who let you know. You fasting, you shouldn't look like you fasting. Nobody should walk up and be like, hey, you fasting to the danger. Yeah, how'd you know? Because you hangry. Like you're supposed to fight against all that, right? (laughs) You know? You're supposed to fight against that. It's possible to give away yourself and do these things and not be loving. So what he's saying in context, these gifts can be used in an unloving way. And if you do that, it means nothing. You gain nothing. Now, what about this in commission? In commission? power granted and authority, in responsibility to us. How do we view this? Now, it's our application. What does it mean for us? Let's look back at verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, it's important to know that Paul is using himself to make this statement, and it's an intentional yet effective tool. He's making the Corinthians look at themselves by looking at him. Notice he doesn't say, you all are unloving. You all are not doing this. You are, He says, look, if I'm not doing this, this is effective because they know that Paul demonstrated in love. But it's the opposite of what he's challenging them with. They know that he did. He was with them. They saw it. So when Paul says, listen, if I'm doing this, and now they're comparing themselves to Paul's example. It's effective. He says, if I speak in tongues, which he does, First, if, if chapter 14, verse 18 to 19, here's what he says. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. So I'd rather speak a sentence that people can understand and process and grow from in love than sit there for hours interrupting the church service. If you haven't been to a church like that, Google it. Go online on YouTube, you'll find somebody. He definitely spoke in other tongues, but he wasn't guilty of doing it in a self-serving way. So he makes this connection between sounds. Notice the connection. So human, human or angelic tongues that would make sounds versus symbols that make sounds. Gongs and cymbals are necessary sounds when using the drums. We have a drum set right there. And they're necessary sounds. There's symbols right there, right there. Necessary. But if on Sunday during worship, Tim was here playing the guitar, Imagine if someone just got in and just started hitting the cymbals. Ching, ching. For now, my God. Ching, ching. Y'all would do two things. First, y'all would look at me. How's Kurt responding? And then I would look at Donnie. Donnie, handle that. Get him out of there. It would be annoying. And now I'm like, ching! (laughs) If that's all you hear, it would be irritating. People who are newer to the church would be like, well, this is my first and last time being here. (laughs) But the cymbals, they sound good when you mix them in, right? If you mix them in with the rest of the drums... Even better when the drums are mixed in with the rest of the instruments. That sounds all right. You get JP up here playing the guitar, doing his thing. Y'all don't know this, but JP just be singing full garbage to his wife. He wouldn't care if nobody was in the room. Vilma's there, he's doing his thing. But you imagine you have his buddy Roger on the drums and it's working when it's mixed in right. Oh, that sound is good. It's not distracting at all. Matter of fact, we'll start talking about, man, I'm glad we had some percussion. It really made the song come out. Well, that's what he's saying about love. If it's not mixed in rightly, then this noise, the one that's mixed in rightly, oh, it's beautiful. It's how it's supposed to be. That, that noise, that human tongue Whatever the spiritual, if it's mixed in with love, if, it's, if, if love is mixed in rightly, oh, it's a good sound. I've never complained about the drums. When it's done right, when the mix is right, there's a few people who say, oh, the drums are too loud. Okay, cool. Let's adjust the mix. But when it's mixed in right, love is supposed to be the mixing board of all that. In verse 2, he says this, If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Listen to what he's saying here. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, do you know what kind of statement that is? Who understands all mystery and all knowledge? God. So he is speaking from the standpoint of being what's theologically called omniscience. God is omniscient. I mean, he's all wise. He knows everything. He's essentially saying, if I, if I had the same knowledge and wisdom of God, or were God myself almost, by implication, but were unloving I would be nothing. So even if I understand everything about the world, if I understand every single tongue that is spoken, if I can understand every single language, all of the mysteries, if I understand all of the things that happen, and the only person who knows how to do that is God. So even if I were God, even if you were God, even if God gave you all of the that almost made you exactly like him, without love, you'd be nothing. So much for knowing your Bible. And by that, what I mean is I, there's a lot of people who divide themselves based on biblical knowledge. I've heard people say, I'm growing in my Bible and I've seen you argue with people online. Where's the disconnect? And I've been guilty of this. Man, listen, I'm, my background is from that. I'm from the confrontation. Like, let's get it. I don't like the, I'm not, I don't want to be in confrontation, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm an Enneagram 8 with a 9 wing. So I'll get in your face, and then I'll like to chill afterwards. If you know anything about Enneagram. I know people who think like, oh, because I know more than you, I'm and I talk down to you. And that's what's happening right now in the evangelical church. People just, you know, you got these platforms, you got this knowledge of the scriptures, you know the Hebrew and the Greek, and somehow you're talking down to people that don't. You got all this knowledge, but it's unloving, so it means nothing. You know more about politics than somebody else, it means nothing. If it's used to be divisive. We'll talk about this in a different sermon, but somewhere along the lines, the evangelical church got this idea that love is always tough. And that somehow, like, these people act like they John Wayne or something. And I just don't see that. Sure, sometimes you got to bring correction. Sure, Scripture, 1 Corinthians 1 Thessalonians 5.14, admonish the idol. Sure, you got to bring some firm correction sometimes. But, man, everything isn't firm. Doesn't it seem like online everything is firm, though? Now, it could be. That exclamation could be excitement or anger, but, man... If that's all excitement, man, you're really excited when you wrote that post. There's this notion that somehow we got to be tough and we got to be the biblical love and the way that God wants us to love is looked down upon as if it's weak. Like, well, if I'm like that, then people are going to walk all over me. Well, so what? They crucified Jesus. When Peter pulled out his sword and cut Malchus's ear off and Jesus said, put your sword away. I can call legions of angels for my defense. If I didn't want this to be happening, this wouldn't be happening. And what does he do? In love. He picks his, the dude's ear up and puts it back on and heals it. That dude better have become a prophet for God after that. <laughs> because if you answer a prayer for me directly, I'm encouraged. You pick my ear up off the ground, I'm in pain and bloody and put it back on and then I touch it and nothing's wrong with it. And don't think he did, they don't have mirrors like we do in all day, but don't think he ain't find something and keep looking for days afterwards. Don't think for a moment that he was worried about not waking up. Don't don't think for a moment that Malchus wasn't concerned when he couldn't hear something. What'd you say? (laughs) Hold on. It's probably not helpful. I'm rusty. I'm rusty, y'all. I've been six weeks. He's saying, if I have the wisdom of God even. And then he goes into faith to move mountains. I mean, this is what Jesus corrected his disciples for all the time, right? He was always like, man, oh, you have little faith. Why don't you have faith? Faith. Faith is a mustard seed. Faith. Faith. You lack faith. You lack faith. Faith is what Jesus constantly corrected them for, and it's what we honor people for, right? We honor people for their faith. They believe this, but faith isn't necessarily love. It's not the same thing. I can believe and hope that we're going to get through all of this and treat people like trash as I'm waiting. I can be judgmental. I can be negative. I can be critical. I can be self-righteous. We honor people for their faith, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's love. God is looking to honor people who love. He's not impressed with the gifts. You know why? Because he gave them. He gave the gifts. Who's going to stand before God and be like, hey, look, what am I going to stand before God one day and be like, Lord, I preached a couple good sermons, though. (laughs) Yeah, not if I didn't give you the spirit to do it. Not if I didn't give you, if I didn't keep you alive to do it. Not if I didn't give you the ability to think to do it. Not if I, never mind. The question is not just about, do I have faith to move mountains? The question is, do we have faith to do love the way God commands it? Do we have faith for that? That's what he's asking. Indirectly. Indirectly. Or are we just satisfied with the gifts, the things that God has given us? I don't know everyone in this room, but I would not be surprised if some of us in this room, we're just, we're somewhat satisfied with what we have. I'm not talking about material possessions. There's no billionaires in here. And if they are, make sure you tithe, please. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about material possessions. I was joking, by the way. For those of you who are new, I was joking sort of. Listen, we're not. But some of us are satisfied with the way we are. Maybe not the way we look. Maybe not how much money we have. But we're satisfied with the way we are. Even if it's unloving. Unloving. Oh, man, we are deceived. I have been so deceived in into thinking that my personality is, and when it's unloving, no. I think too many of us are satisfied with how we think and what we believe from everything to who we are as our personalities to what we believe politically. And we're good with that. And love has gotta be the way we define love, not the way the, biblical, the Bible defines love. Because the Bible's not, it's not defining the greatest form of love by romance, parental, familial, or occupational. It's defining it by sacrificial. It's sacrificial because it requires work and sacrifice. Now in this mini series we'll get into that. I just want to make this statement now, this isn't, thank you Siri, this isn't what we, what you think. Even technology needs to be loving. What does your gifts, your personality, your political view, what do these things reveal about you? What do they reveal about you? Because you go to the gym and you're so fit, so you mock other people who are not, what does that reveal about you? We can glorified bodies in heaven anyway. Be cut up when I get up top. What does it reveal about us? What does your political view reveal about you? So what if you think you have the right perspective? What does it reveal about you as it relates to love, biblically? What does your personality reveal? What does your economic status, your real, what does your hard work reveal? What does your suffering reveal about you? Man, the church. And there's so much to say, but we have a series to say it. The Lord has been humbling me a lot because it's possible to like what God is doing in your life and not be motivated to love others and deceive yourself. It's possible to be grateful for God and ungrateful towards others. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. The interesting thing is a lot of the ways we, what we believe, how we do things, our personalities, our viewpoints, all of these things, they make up our identity. But look at what he says at the end of verse two. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, what he says, I am nothing. That's your biblical identity if you don't have love. I am nothing. Your viewpoint, your economic status, your education, your talents, your expertise, your looks are nothing if the seventh one isn't love, undergirding all of them. Your identity is not found in what gifts you have been given, but by the love that you've shown. The world makes it about talent, expertise, looks, income. The word makes it about love. And there are plenty of people who profess to be believers that are unloving, and I know a lot of them don't care. Like, okay. It's a love lost. Okay. I remember going back and forth with a dude online that I know. And I was like, bro, I just don't think you love him, man. He said, man, it's just the problem, man. Christians are too snowflakes. There are too many snowflake Christians around here getting solved. Huh? It's like, fam, what, 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 what translation are you reading? First of all, what biblically is a snowflake? <laughs> I like, Snowflakes, I'm like, it's snow, no snow coming on here. I know what he was trying to say, but I was like, bro, the agitation of the culture is not the, the excuse to be unloving. The, the closing in on the values of the freedom to be a believer and to believe what the Bible says about sexuality, to believe what the Bible says about all these things, is not a justification for sinful attitudes and actions. The Lord didn't say, hey, love your neighbor as yourself unless they talk to you in a tone of voice you don't like Love your neighbor as yourself unless they disagree with you politically. Love your neighbor as yourself unless they think LeBron James is the greatest of all time. But that's how we live. We'll be loving unless you go against the grain and whatever that grain is. But the Lord is saying, no, my son, no, my daughter, let's bring it back. Let's bring this back. Let's bring it back to who you really are and who you're really supposed to be. Lastly, in verse 3, he says, if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is powerful give over our possessions. It's powerful. In any event, I give everything that I have and all that I am, and I'm not a loving person that doesn't love people, then it doesn't matter. When it's loving, it's sacrificial. Love actually costs something from us. Because listen, God is not calling us to be loving towards our spouses, our family, our our co people that we care about. That's a given. For most people, at least, that's a given. When God's talking about loving, He's not talking about your spouse at your wedding day, where you de- where all you can you ain't even been through nothing with them yet. <laughs> you all oh, man, yeah, I love, i definitely man, I'm patient. Yeah, man, Just, you ain't been through nothing. Make it make it a couple decades and see if you can say that. When we celebrated Mike and Karen's, doing, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. They're 25 years, I was like, they done been through some things. That matters. On your weather day, it's beautiful. And then all that, that that, that First Corinthians 13 makes a lot of sense that day. A couple years later, <laughs> when you look back at them pictures and realize, man, I look like I was 12 in this photo. Like, what, no? What? <laughs> That's how it always say, You look back at your wedding pictures. You're like, dang, look how, look how skinny I was. You get all depressed, put the photos away. The Bible's talking about how do you love your enemies? When it talks about loving in this way, it's not talking about just the people that you would naturally love. It's talking about the people that are difficult to love. not saying do this for your spouse or children, friends or family. He already knows we'll do that. He's asking us to do it for those that are not the people we care about, the enemies that we have, the neighbors whom we don't know besides good morning. I got to ask a dude across the street from me. I forgot his name. And it's always embarrassing to be like, man, we've been saying, hey, we're just breaking the conversation. I'll pull up, hey, Curtis, how are you? Hey, man, how you doing? He looks like his name is Brian, but I know that ain't it. And for months, I've been like, man, I got to remember his name. Because sometimes I'll see him want to be like, hey, but I don't want to be like, hey, my man. (laughs) Hey, neighbor. But it's like, we've had so many conversations, I don't want to be like, man, I forgot your name. Watch him say Brian. (laughs) (laughs) But many of our neighbors would just say, hey, good morning. They walk their dogs down your street, you getting in your car, hey, good morning, good morning. That's it. So I know them. I know they live on the street. They live right down there. They know you live right there. How do we love them? How do we love them? How do our personalities, our expertise, our our, our hard work, how do we love them? If I'm imitating Jesus outwardly by giving of my own life, but I'm not imitating him inwardly by giving of my own love, then it means nothing, biblically speaking. And the irony of that is at the end of verse three, he says, if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, he says, I gain nothing. Now you could take that as a figure of speech like I, just, I gain nothing. But when he said I am nothing at the end of verse 1, I think he meant that literally. I don't think that was a figure of speech. So if, if it's not just a figure of speech, I gain nothing, then Paul is talking about reward. If it's not a figure of speech, then when Paul says, if I have all these things, if I can do all these great things, if I'm If I'm living outwardly all this stuff, but inwardly I don't like people, I despise people, I'm critical of people, self-righteous, judgmental, angry, inhospitable, inwardly, there's no reward for that. I gain, if Paul gains nothing, then we gain nothing. I think that is a statement of eternal factuality not just a figure of speech. If so, then this means that a reward is not because we gave away our possessions or our own lives for self-satisfaction, but we gave it because we love God and love others. This is not an idea, a suggestion, or something optional for the believer. It's biblical. Last thing I'll say is, you know, in the gospel, when Jesus says stuff like this, let he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. You know why he said that? It wasn't, he wasn't talking about audibly. He was saying, let the person who hears this tough word, this tough responsibility that processes it, let those who can hear it, let them do it. So I quote the Savior, he who has an ear to hear the biblical perspective of love, then let him hear. And I'm not assuming anybody in this room does or does not. That's for you to decide. But as we go through these five messages, this being the first, it'll be up to each of us to decide, do we have an ear to hear what the scripture is saying? And maybe, hopefully, what the Spirit is saying to those of us that are hearing these things. There is never, in my lifetime, my lifetime, never been more of an important time to press into this reality than right now. We are two months away from what I think is gonna be chaos, no matter who wins the election. Yes, it's not going anywhere. It hasn't gone away from me. I see it everywhere. And it's made me want to press in more to be loving because despite all the, the noise, I don't want to stand before the Lord and be like, I was just too immature to love people. I couldn't do it, Lord. I was just too offended to love my own brothers and sisters because I disagreed with their perspective. I was too self-righteous to love people so I with- removed myself from them, hiding behind COVID. Listen, COVID isn't the reason why you're not around people. That, COVID just revealed what's in our hearts. COVID didn't put it in our hearts. It just revealed it. By that, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying be all around people, be in people's faces. We use wisdom. But I'm saying there's a lot of us that are just like, it's already been there. It's just justifying what's already there. We have a responsibility and it's a hard one. May God give us grace to do so.